Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I want to begin this morning by asking you to help me make the first point, all right? You are going to participate and give me some assistance as I begin this morning. And here's how you're going to do that. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And what I need you to be prepared to do is I need you to raise your hand in response to the questions, all right? So let me just see your hands. Hold them all up and make sure we're all in working order this morning. You may want to loosen your shoulder just a little bit. We're about to get you involved, all right? So if you're ready, here we go. If you're ready, say amen. amen. All right. How many of you were born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let me see your hand. Just hold them up. Now, hold them up for a second. As we do this, I want you to kind of glance around and get a feel for how people are responding. So, there's a, there's a few here this morning born in Las Vegas. You can put your hands down. We ought to have an autograph session with you after the service, right? <laughs> because you are a rare breed, man. We are glad that you are here today. How many of you were born outside of Las Vegas? Let me see your hand. Yeah, a lot more hands born outside of Las Vegas. How many of you would say you were born on the east coast of the United States? Let me see your hand. All right, you can put them down. How many of you born on the west coast of the United States? All right, you can put those down. And I left out this in the first service and somebody graciously, how many of you born in the Midwest, right? Don't want to leave. There we go. Yeah, there's a party in the Midwest. I like it. I like it. How many of you were born in a different country altogether? You were not born in America. So look at there. Look at all those hands all around the room. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Yesterday, this weekend, started spring training. How many of you would say your favorite Major League Baseball team is in the National League? Let me see your hand. All right, a lot of National League fans. How many of you would say your favorite Major League team is in the American League? Let me see your hand. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now? Yeah. <laughs> God help you all is all I can tell you. God help you all. How many of you would say that your favorite hobby is sports? Let me see your hand. Hold them up. Favorite hobby is sports. How many of you would say your favorite hobby is reading? Let me see your hand. A lot of hands around the room. How many of you would say that your favorite hobby is watching TV or movies? Let me see your hand. All right. How many of you would say your favorite hobby is uh, working out in the gym? Let me see your hand, right? Yeah. Few of those folks, right? Yeah, we got you. We got you. How many of you would say your, fa your favorite hobby is doing nothing? Let me see your hand. Yep. <laughs> Ironically, more of those than there are working out in the gym, but we'll leave that to the psychologist, right? How many of you would prefer if you were going on vacation to go to the beach? Let me see your hand. Ah, how many of you prefer the mountains? Ah, how many of you prefer something else? Yeah, see a lot of those as well. How many of you would say that bacon is your favorite breakfast meat? Let me see your hand. <clears throat> How many of you would say that sausage is your favorite breakfast meat? Let me see your hand, right? How many of you don't like breakfast? God help some of you people. <laughs> How many of you would say that classical music is your favorite to listen to? Let me see your hand. 
Awesome. How many of you would say that country western music is your favorite to listen to? How many of you would say that hip-hop music is your favorite to listen to? So, all across the board. And listen, we could literally, for the next hour and a half, sit here, and I could keep this exercise going, and I could ask a million questions like this, and I hope this is what you noticed. On not a single one of those questions did I get every person to raise your hand. There's not, I could ask a million questions like that. And for those that call this their church family, okay? If you're a guest today, if you're not a Christian today, not necessarily. But for those of us that call Hope Church our home, we could ask a million questions like that. And we would never get all of us on the same page. But there is a question that I can ask that'll get us all on the same page. And here's that question. How many of you love Jesus and want to faithfully follow him? Let me see your hand, right? Hey, all across the board this morning that call Hope Church their home. The bottom line is there's a lot about us that's different. But there is something powerful that unites us together. And that is Jesus Christ and his mission. We are studying together through the book of Ephesians, a letter written to a church called the church at Ephesus in the first century. In your Bible, it's called the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Ephesians chapter 3. This series that we're in right now, we're calling spiritual misfits. Why is that? Because there's a lot about us that's different. There's a lot about us that doesn't necessarily connect us together. But spiritually, we've been united into one family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is this unique dynamic that really is God's unexpected plan to change the world. And as we continue this morning in Ephesians chapter 3, the dynamic that we learn about today is that a part of this spiritual family is that we are to be a praying church. A praying church. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 14. Here's what Paul says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And we all say 
a, what a powerful prayer. Amen. I mean, I read Paul's prayer and I think, man, I ain't got no business praying, right? Because he, he's praying at like a whole other level. But what he's giving us is some instruction and a prescription for how we are to pray as this body of Christ, as this united from every culture and country and color, how we're to come together as the body of Christ and pray. Now, the passage that I just read for you, we're going to be looking at this weekend and next weekend with this idea of a praying church. And we're going to look at three things. Let me give you the big overview. Here's what we're going to be unpacking. Number one, how we pray matters. Number two, what we pray matters. And number three, why we pray matters. So this is what we're going to look at for the next two weekends. Now, today, we're only going to deal with number one, how we pray matters. Next weekend, we're going to unpack these next two, what we pray and why we pray. But this weekend, we're going to focus on how we pray matters. And out of these verses that I've read for you, I want to give you five distinctives about how we are to pray. Here's number one. We should pray desperately. Paul here is praying with a sense of desperation. You say, how do you know that? Well, let me show you. Look how he begins in verse 14. If you're looking at it in your Bible, what are the first three words of verse 14? For this reason, right? Now, that should sound a little bit familiar because that's the exact way he opened this chapter. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 3. Look at the first three words. For this reason. Why is that? Because I told you last weekend, if you were here, Paul begins in verse 1, and he's about to begin this prayer, but then the Holy Spirit of God inspires him, and he kind of chases this theological point in verses 1 through 13 about God's eternal plan. We looked at it last weekend, but then in verse 14, he picks up what he began in verse 1 with this idea for this reason. Now, that's an important little phrase of transition because it could literally be translated on account of. So here's what Paul is saying. Based on what I've just said, for the reason, on account of what I've just said, now I'm about to do this. So Paul says, based on what I've just said, now I'm going to pray. Well, that means we have to back up to chapter 2. What did Paul just say? Well, look back at verse number 13, chapter 2. I'll put it up here for you if you don't have a Bible with you this morning. Look what he says. But now in Christ Jesus... You who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Paul is talking about this miraculous work of Jesus that has now brought together Jews and Gentiles, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and united them together in one glorious body in Christ. And Paul's teaching us about the unity that we now have because of Jesus. Look what he goes on to say down in verse 19. He said, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He said, used to being from different cultures, different countries, you were strangers and aliens, but, but you're no longer strangers and aliens. Why? What does he say? Because you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God 
in the Spirit. Paul had been teaching us about this multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational movement that is the gospel transcending culture, transcending country, transcending culture, and bringing us as Jews and Gentiles together. We used to be from different countries, he said. Hey, but now we're citizens of a new kingdom. It's a kingdom that is yet to come. We used to be from different families, but now we're of one family. We used to be from different households, but now we're a house that God is building from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And Paul, here's what he's saying. Because of that, (laughs) this don't have a shot at working unless God does it. Paul says, because God's doing this, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm about to pray. (laughs) Because everything around us is really tearing us apart. Paul is saying, if you look at it on paper, this shouldn't work. If you look at it on paper, this shouldn't happen. These people don't have anything in common. They come from different cultures. They come from different backgrounds. They have different convictions. They have different preferences. The miracle of the church is what Jesus has done. And if you think about, let's make it real practical. Let's just think about us for a minute here at Hope Church. There's a whole lot that is pulling us apart. Politics. Right? Everybody just held their breath for a minute. Oh, God, what's what's he about to say? Politics is pulling us apart. Social media. Married with politics oftentimes. is pulling us apart. Let me, let, me, let me just stop right here for a second and say something about social media. Listen, you and I need to remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen, I'm talk, I don't care whether you're on the left or the right or somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter. We need to be reminded that our brothers and sisters in Christ are following us on social media. We need to remember that the words that we, listen, the world is going to be okay if you don't say that. I want to challenge you to run your social media through the filter of we are one family in Christ. Which means, which means, when in doubt, don't. Just don't. If there's a hesitancy in your spirit about post, you say, well, I just, listen, then, then pray before you post. Run it by the Lord before you hit send. And if it doesn't build up a brother or sister in Christ, the Bible forbids it as speech. Say, I got free speech, not according to the word of God. The word of God says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth unless it is for the building up of the body of Christ. Politics is tearing us apart. Social media is tearing us apart. Sports is pulling us apart. Education can pull us apart. Economics can pull us apart. Culture can pull us apart. Convictions can pull us apart. Only Jesus and his grace and his mission to redeem every tribe, tongue, people, and nation unites us together. And but for the grace of God, we will not make it, which means we should be desperate to pray.
to pray. Tony Evans, one of my favorite black preachers in America. Tony Evans is one of the best preachers I've ever heard in my lifetime. Listen to what Tony Evans said. One of the things that you and I have got to understand as brothers and sisters in Christ is that this divide in our culture and in our nation is because people have chosen to pay more attention to their granddaddy than to their heavenly father. It is because people have held a stronger commitment to the history of their culture than to the person of Jesus Christ. There has been a more faithful allegiance to background than to the Bible. And listen, that's something we all need to hear. Doesn't matter culture, country, background. We all need to hear that because here's the reality. The natural tendency of our flesh is to put confidence in things of the flesh. The natural tendency of the flesh is to elevate my culture, to elevate my standing, to elevate my background, to elevate my education, to elevate my, my, my call. Every, that, that's the flesh. But the Spirit teaches us. What Paul is teaching us here is that above all else, we're not black or white. Above all else, we are not rich or poor. We are not Republican or Democrat, American or immigrant, educated or uneducated, conservative or liberal. Above all else, who we are is who we are in Christ. Now listen, that doesn't diminish that we are black and white. That doesn't diminish that we are Republican or Democrat or conservative. It doesn't diminish any of that. Here's what it does. It simply prioritizes above all of that. Above everything else, who I am is who I am in Christ. We were those who were far off, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We used to be separate from each other, but now we're one family with one father. There's a lot of talk in our culture today about us and them. You pick the issue, doesn't matter. And society wants us to get into two camps, us and them. But here's what you need to know. As a follower of Jesus, there's only one us and one them. Us are those who have experienced God's grace and salvation through faith in Christ and been born again into the family of God. Them are those who need to experience God's grace and salvation through faith and be born again into the family of God. And here's what Ephesians is teaching us. Us have been united in Christ to live on mission for them. And that is God's unexpected plan to change the world. Politics will not change the world. Legislation will not change the world. Education will not change the world. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ and his gospel through his church can change Las Vegas, it can change the West, and it can change the world. And because Paul understood that, he's desperately praying, knowing this, the enemy would love to destroy this. Let me tell you why. Because there's no explanation for this. Let's go back to the opening illustration. There's a whole lot that we do differently. You know what this is? 
This is a visible, tangible expression of the eternal plan of God. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation born again into one family with one father, expressing our diversity but enjoying our unity in Christ. Paul is begging God that that not be destroyed in the church. He knew that all hell would come against it. So with each of these, I want to give you an application. So so here's the one about prayer, about desperation. As you think about this beyond just praying for God's work in the church, think about your own life. Prayer is motivated by a sense of desperation. That's why Paul here says, hey, based on what I just said, let me tell you what I'm about to do. I'm about to pray. He was motivated. Why? Because he knew this was impossible. It was impossible apart from God's grace. So Paul says, man, I'm about to pray. He was desperate. Let me ask you a question. When do you pray the most? Let me give you the answer. When you're the most desperate. Right? Let everything be good in life. Job, health, marriage, kids, everything's good. You know what you can find it easy to do? Not have time to pray. But you go to the doctor tomorrow and let him tell you, I'm sorry, but I don't think you've got but about six months left to live. And let me tell you what you just became. A prayer warrior. (laughs) You might not have had time yesterday. But today, you got time to pray. Not only that, you blowing up everybody's phone in the room, right? Why? Because you asking them to pray. Why? Because you just got desperate. Don't you dare take this for granted. We need to be desperate for God. And here's what I love. Prayer is motivated by a sense of desperation. But don't miss this. God moves in response to the desperate cry of his people. When we get desperate and cry out to God in prayer, God moves in power. We should pray desperately. Number two, we should pray humbly. Look what he said, verse 13. For this reason, I bow my knees. The bowing of the knee, bowing, it's a, it's a gesture still today in many cultures of honor and respect and submission. I was just in South Asia a few weeks ago. Where I was in South Asia, it is still very much a part of their culture. When you greet someone, when you meet them, when you, when you come to them, you, you, you approach them. They almost, they, they put their hand over their chest and they, they bow and they almost take some steps backward. It's a, it's a sign of, of respect. It's a sign of, of honor. It's a sign of, 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 of submission. We don't do it that much in our culture. We do all about us. <laughs> And our culture to have practices like that. We've lost honor. It's why we've lost the sense of civility in our public discourse. Because we don't understand a biblical framework for honor and respect. But Paul here is teaching us that he knew that as he prayed, 
He was walking into the presence of someone who was greater than he. And in a demonstration of respect to God, in a demonstration of honor to the Father, he says, the God of all, he bows the knee. Here's what Paul's teaching us. God is not the old man upstairs. God is not your homeboy. God is not your co-pilot. God is not your genie in a bottle that exists to meet your every wish and demand. He is God. And when we approach him, we should approach him in humility, acknowledging he is God and I am not. Which, which raises a question. Here's the application. Do I approach God with a sense of humility and submission when I pray? Or do I have a demanding spirit? You ever got mad when God didn't do what you want him to do? Don't look at me like it's Sunday in church. Be honest. (laughs) We all got those things we've talked to God about. And we can't wait to get to heaven to ask him, Lord, why... Why, why'd you do this and not that? Why, why, why? When we approach him humbly, there's faith that says he can. But there's also trust that says he knows what's best. Faith, he can if he chooses. Or trust that I may be asking the wrong thing. So there's a sense of humility. Are you approaching God with a sense of humility? First Peter says this. It's actually repeated three times in the Bible. The Bible says God is opposed to the proud. When we approach God with a demanding spirit, the Bible says he's opposed to that. But, but he gives what? Grace to the who? Hum- when we humble ourselves before him. We should pray humbly. Number three, we should pray urgently. Urgently. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Again, this idea of bowing the knees. It's interesting. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say, here's how you must pray. When you talk about posture. Actually, as you read the Bible, you see people praying in all kinds of different postures. Sometimes people praying on their knees. Sometimes people praying while they stand. Sometimes people praying with their hands up. Sometimes people are praying with their hands folded. Sometimes people are praying lying on the ground. Sometimes people are praying while they're walking. There's all kinds of posture. Why is it important that Paul here says he's bowing the knee? Here's why it's important. Because the common custom in Jewish culture was to pray while standing up. Let me show you. John Stott said it this way in his book on this passage. The normal posture for prayer among the Jews was standing. And he gives us an example. In Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the publican, both men were standing as they prayed. So kneeling was unusual. It indicated an exceptional degree of earnestness. Let me prove it to you. Let me give you two examples from Scripture when we see people kneeling to pray. One of them is Jesus himself. Jesus, after three and a half years of public ministry, takes his disciples into a garden. 
Now, you know what's about to happen, right? Soldiers are about to come into that garden. They're about to arrest him. They're going to run him through a series of mock trials. They're going to beat him. They're going to nail him to a cross, crucify him for all the world to see. The Father is going to pour out the wrath of humanity or the wrath of God against the sin of humanity on Jesus. He's going to die on that cross. He's going to be buried. Then he's going to rise again. There is a great ordeal of suffering in front of Jesus. And because of that, he brings his disciples into the garden. He takes them there and he says, I want you to pray. He takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, into the the most inner sanctum of that garden. And he says, I need you to pray with me, men. And then Jesus goes off by himself. And listen what the Bible says. He withdrew in Luke 22. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down. And he began to pray. And the Bible goes on to describe this prayer was so intense, so passionate, so earnest that Jesus literally began to sweat drops of blood. Kneeling. There was an urgency. It was a passion. I'll show you another one. Stephen. One of the deacons. Selected by the church in Acts 6, became a great evangelist preaching the gospel. Stephen's preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 7, and he's the first person executed for preaching the gospel. They gather around Stephen and they start throwing rocks at him to stone him to death. And listen what the Bible says in Acts chapter 7, verse 59. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord. How about that? They're stoning him to death, and he's talking to God. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then, what does it say? Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, they're killing him, and he's praying for them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. And Paul says in verse number 14, I bow my knees before the Father. In the footsteps of Jesus, and just like Stephen, Paul with a sense of passion and earnestness and urgency, gets down on his knees and cries out to God. Here's an application. When's the last time you prayed like that? You had to fall down on your knees because there was such an urgency. When's the last time there was such a passion that from your knees you were moved to weep before God? In just a few moments, we're going to have a time where we respond today. One of the things we're going to do is we're going to open this front up, these, these steps like an altar. And here's what I believe needs to happen. I believe some of you need to run to this altar in a few moments. You need to fall down on your knees and you need to cry out to God. Maybe like you hadn't cried out to God in a long time. Maybe you need to start by getting on your knees and saying, Oh God, break my heart for what breaks yours. I've become cold and indifferent. 
Prayer has become just something that I go through. There's no, there's no earnestness. There's no urgency. Paul here is praying with a sense of urgency. Number four, we should pray confidently. We should pray confidently. Look what he said, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the who? The Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Let me give you two reasons you should pray confidently. Number one, I should have confidence because God is my, say it out loud. Hey, say that again. I should have confidence because God is my what? Do you hear that? God is my Father. Meaning this, you are infinitely loved by him. Tim Keller is one of my favorite writers I love to read. Tim Keller, in one of his books, he wrote this statement. Listen to what he said about the gospel. He said, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You are because of Jesus loved by your Father. I wish today, I wish, and it's exactly what Paul's praying. We're going to talk about it next week. Paul says, oh, I'm praying that you would know what is the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love that God has for you. If you just understood a thimble of how much God loves you, you would run into his presence and pray with confidence. Why? Because he's your father. He's your father. You are infinitely loved by God. The reason some people don't pray is they think, oh man, I, I, I've done this, I've done that. You know, God knows this, God knows that. I, I can't talk to God. I can't go to God. You don't know what I've done. Listen, doesn't matter. He loves you, not because you earned it, not because you deserve it, but because you're now in Christ. And in Christ, you are a loved, accepted child of God. Listen to what John MacArthur says. He said, God knows how we were. That's the past. God knows how we now live. That's the present. And he knows how we will live the rest of our lives. Here's what that means. God knows it all. You want to talk about desperate prayer, right? Oh, God, I pray they never find that out about me, right? That's some desperate prayer. Listen, God already knows it all. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought about doing, everything you're doing right now, everything you ever will do the rest of your life. And yet, look what John MacArthur goes on to say. He sees everything about us in stark naked reality. Yet, he says, I am satisfied with you because I am satisfied with my son to whom you belong. When I look at you, I see him and I am pleased. In just a moment, I'm going to call you to pray. And here's what I want you to know. When I call you to pray, there is a God in heaven who is your father who wants to talk with you because he loves you. He loves you. Let me tell you a second reason you can have confidence. Look at this. I can have confidence because, say it out loud, God is my father. See, depending on which part of this sentence you emphasize, it gives you even more confidence, right? I can have confidence because God's my father, but I can have confidence because God is my father. 
And he tells us who this God is. He's the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, meaning this, he's the God of everything. And specifically here, he's talking about the God of the whole family of God, meaning he's reaching all the way back to Abraham. The same God that was God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God that was God of Peter and Paul and James and John. The same God that was the God of Spurgeon and Moody and Edwards and Luther. That same God is our God and he's our father. He's our father. He goes on in verse 16 to say, I'm asking our father according to, this is an important phrase, according to his riches. That's important. Why? Because his riches are inexhaustible. He said of himself in the Old Testament, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Meaning this, we can have confidence as we approach him in prayer. So here's the application. Do you approach God with a sense of confidence? Or do you sheepishly make your way into his presence wondering whether or not he really wants to be talking to you? Paul says we can pray with confidence. John affirms this. Listen to the way John wrote it. 1 John chapter 5, look at this. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. What? It's confidence. Here's the last thing, number five. We should pray expectantly. Meaning this, we should pray believing God can and will do what he said he can and will do. Jump down to the end of this passage, verse 20, 21. I'm going to read it again. Look what he says. Now, <laughs> Paul said, man, I'm about to pray desperate. I'm desperate because the only shot of this working is God himself. I'm about to pray humbly because he's God and I'm not. I'm about to pray with a sense of passion. I'm going into his presence with confidence. And then he asks all this stuff that's miraculous stuff. And here's how he says, now to him who is able. Say that with me. Now to him who is what? He's what? Say it again. Now to him who is able. Oh, he's not just able. He's able to do far more abundantly. He's not just able to do far more abundantly. He's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we what? Ask (laughs) or think the stuff that you forgot to even ask about. How does he do that? According to the power that works within us. Why does he do that? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Here's what that means. We can ask God and we can expect God to show up. Let me tell you what. As I prayed and as I prepared this sermon this week, let me tell you what God put in my heart. I believe today, and and we're about to respond in just a moment. I believe today we are going to see God do some things. We're going to see God show up in a miraculous way. We may not see it happen today. It may be this week. It may be this month. It may be next month. But I believe we're about to cry out to God and we're about to do so with a spirit of expectancy. And we're going to see him who is able show up and do what only he can do. Listen to what Martin Luther said, or excuse me, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. He said, bring your most daring petitions. Bring your most impossible requests. Add others to them. Let the whole church join together in their wildest desires and demands. There is no danger of exceeding the limit. His power. 
power is beyond all that we can ever ask. Let me ask you something. Do you expect God to move in response to your prayer? Do you expect God? You know, this is where we get into this arena of faith. Believing God can and will do what he said he was going to do. Let's bow our heads. Father, in this moment, we cry out to you. God, have your way. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in the building, go ahead and stand up. Everybody just stand up. Listen, this is not a time to slip out early. God's about to move in here. Don't you dare leave early today. God's about to show up. So we're going to do this in a couple of phases. Number one, we're about to take these steps. We're going to turn them into an old-fashioned altar. We have pastors lined up here across the front. If you are somebody here today, you're a Christian, and you, you're broken. There's a need. Listen, you don't even have to wait on me to finish what I'm saying. You can come get in this altar right now. You can start moving right now. But if there's a need, maybe today you showed up here, and your marriage is on the brink of falling apart and you desperately need God to, listen, we're going to open these altars. You just come get in the altar. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a child or a grandchild that's far away from God, that's in rebellion against God, or that's lost and needs to be saved. And you're, it's time to get in the altar, get on our knees and humbly before God, cry out in passion. Maybe it's a job. Maybe you desperately need a job. You need God to provide. Maybe it's a financial need in your life that you think, man, it's way beyond my ability and you just need God to show. Listen, we're going to ask God today and for every person that comes and gets in one of these altars just begins to cry out to God. We have pastors, deacons, prayer volunteers. They're just going to go along and they're going to just agree with God. They're going to pray with you. We're going to do what Paul said to do. We're going to desperately, humbly, passionately, confidently, and expectantly ask God to do what only God can do. Maybe you're here today and you need a physical touch of healing There's something in your body. You need God to touch you and heal you. These altars are going to be open. Listen, the pastors are here, and you can pray with one of them if you want to. If you want to come to one of them, they're going to be here. You can pray with them. But these altars are going to be open. They're just going to come along. They're not going to ask you anything. They're just going to pray over you. Just pray over you. So here's what we're going to do. In just a minute, we're going to sing. But I want Christians, you go ahead and you can start coming now. Some are already here. The altar is beginning to fill up. You come. I believe we're going to see the miracle working power of God today. Why? Because it's who he said he is. It's who he said he is. Don't miss this moment. The altars are here. Now, secondly today, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Maybe this whole thing is new for you to even talk about. Here's what I want you to know. I was right where you are as a freshman in college. As a freshman in college, I was exposed to the gospel. I heard the good news that Jesus loved me even though I'd made a mess of my life. Even though I tried all kind of stuff to fill my heart, fill my life, Jesus loved me anyway. And he loved me so much that he came into this world as God. He died on a cross for he took my sin and died. He rose again from the dead so that I could be forgiven of my sin and be born again into relationship with God. 
And listen, the same God that saved me through the gospel in 1989 is the same God who can save you today. If you're here today and you're at the end, you're thinking, man, I've messed life up. There's got to be meaning. There's got to be purpose. There's got to be something more. Listen, I'm telling you, I'm a living testament. I'm not a paid salesman, all right? I'm a satisfied customer. I'm a satisfied customer. Jesus changed my life, and he changed yours today. But you got to receive him. So when Teddy begins to sing in just a moment, in just a moment when he begins to sing, if you're not a Christian today, while Christians are coming and praying and being prayed for, if you're not a Christian today, we want to invite you to come to one of these pastors. They're going to be in the aisles. And here's all you need to say. I need Jesus. That's it. Just, I need Jesus. If you forget that, you just come stand here. They'll know why you're here. They'll talk to you and have someone sit down with you and show you how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Everybody understand what we're about to do? It's already happening. Listen, you don't see it. God's moving right now because he promised to in response to the prayers of his people. He promised to. He's not obligated to. He promised to. He promised to. Father, in this moment, would you move for your glory? Lord, I pray for Christians that need to be set free today. They are in bondage to struggles. I pray for Christians that need healing today. Christians that need their marriage restored today. Christians that need jobs today. Lord, I pray for non-Christians today that need to experience the love of Jesus. God, would you move in this moment? It's in the name of Jesus we pray.